0: I think that's a very appropriate song for today. It goes along with our Scripture reading. Who cares? If you want to become a person that other people respond to, you need to care. And caring is action. It doesn't do us any good to know what love is and to know about love unless we put love in action, unless we develop our capacity to love. Knowing theologically what love is, having this wonderful picture of love in our mind, but never getting it into the reality of our life, is meaningless. I want to share with you today how to develop love in your life. How to develop your capacity to love. How to put love into action. It really begins with our attitudes. I want to share with you some principles today that relate to your attitudes and your actions. But all actions begin with attitudes. You sow an attitude and you reap an action. The first principle that I want to share with you this morning in developing your attitude to bring about a life of love is this. You must be convinced, you must believe that of all the things in the world that you could possess, love is the most important. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that that's the kind of life that God wants you to live? That's a very serious thing. Because our philosophy today, our world system doesn't tell us that. It tells us to look out for us. It tells us to look out for ourselves. It doesn't tell us to look out for other people. We are a part and parcel of the me generation. Don't get walked on. Stand up for your own rights. Money is the goal of Americans. Possessions is the goal of Americans. The Bible tells us that the greatest thing in the world, of all qualities of anything you could possess, is love. Love. The greatest of these is love. I always try to remember the words of Jesus when He said... Your care and concern for others is the measure of your greatness. Do you want to be great? I hope you want to be great. We're going to talk about that this morning. Jesus wants you to be great. He wants you to be great in love. If you know how to love, if you get love in your life, you'll have people flock to you. You'll have people admire you. People will like you. Because again, as we shared in the last couple weeks, it is the basic human need of all men and women that you come in contact with. As the song said, every person out there that we look at in society is needy. They're hurting. They're broken. There is so much brokenness today in America, it's almost astounding when you come across someone who's had a normal life. In fact, we don't even know what normal is today anymore. Because our lives have been so broken. You must believe in your mind, in your mind, that love is the most important quality of your life. Secondly, and it's sort of the practical outworking of your first attitude, and that is this, you must memorize the definition of love. You ought to memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. Love is patient. And love is always kind. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love is not jealous or envious of others. Love is always considerate. It doesn't get irritated or touching. It doesn't keep a track record of the wrongs that other people do it. Love always forgives. It's never self-seeking. Love is positive. Love believes in other people. Love isn't critical. Love is always ready to believe the best of other people. Now... The reason the definition is so important is because the Bible tells us this, long before philosophers told us this, that as a man thinks within himself, so is he. What you think about in your mind determines your life. We say today, we are the sum total of our thoughts. What you think is what you are. The Bible said it a long time ago. If you and I do not change our conception of love, and if we do not change the way we think, You're going to fight a losing battle. You're going to have this desire inside to want to love, but you're not going to be able to fulfill it. I had a friend one time who told me his goal was every day, as he walked out of his bedroom, as he put his hand on the doorknob, to quote that verse. And he'd go over it. And they'd say a little prayer, Lord, help me today to do each one of those things. Help me today to live a life of love. And he's probably the most loving man I've ever met in my life. And as I began reflecting back in his life, I realized why. Because it was the main goal of his life. It's what he thought about. It's what he taught about. He tried to apply it every day in his life. I've tried to do that same thing. Make that the forefront of my thinking. Because I know that unless I renew my mind, my life will not be changed Again. The definition of love that I shared last week is not the definition of love in our society. Love is so conditional in America. Our love is so shallow. We must change what we think about love and if we do not change what we think about love, our actions will never be different. And you will not become a person that other people want to be around. I can promise you that. Have you ever asked yourself that? Do people enjoy my company? Does my family enjoy my company? Am I pleasant to be with? Try as you might, unless you change your attitudes, unless you change what's here in the mind, your living will never change. We need to understand that the definition of love defines our life goal. Anyone will tell you that if you want to be successful in life, you've got to define your goals. They must be clearly defined goals. Love defines your goal. What would happen in your life if you pursued love as much as you pursue beauty? What would happen if you poured over love in your mind, in your heart, as much as we pour over our bodies every day? What would happen if we were consumed as much with love as we are with good health? What would happen if we were consumed with love as much as we are to achieve the American dream? What would happen? Your life would be different. Your life would be dynamic. Your life would be magnetic. People would be drawn to it. It's love that makes you attractive. It's love that genuinely makes you appealing to other people. Third principle that I want to share, again, has to do with your mind. It's a mental exercise. You need to practice thinking in terms of other people's interest. This does not come naturally. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, consider the interests of other people more important than your very own. Now that doesn't come naturally at all because we're very self-centered. We're not others-oriented by nature. We're self-centered. And it's going to take mental practice to begin looking around you and asking yourself, where's the need that I can meet it? Where can I minister? Where can I help? Maybe this person is discouraged. How can I encourage them? But you will never be in tune with people around you if you aren't preparing your mind firsthand. I try to do this little exercise in my own life. When I'm hungry, or when I'm hot, or if I'm thirsty, I ask myself, I say, you know, I'm hungry. I wonder if someone else is hungry. I'm thirsty. I wonder if someone else here would like a drink. Maybe my family. Or someone I'm with. Or I'm hot. I wonder if someone else is. Maybe I ought to turn my air conditioner on. Maybe I ought to turn the heat up. Whatever it might be, love is in tune with the people around you. But it takes practice. It's not something that will happen overnight. But as you begin thinking in terms of, what does my mate need? How can I encourage my mate? Again, we are so used to thinking about ourselves that you're going to have to work very hard to think about other people. What I'm telling you to do is not easy to do. You're going to have to really want this. But you know, going to college is not very easy either. Hitting the books is not easy. But you know it's going to get you a job in the end. So you put up with it. You endure it. Love is more valuable than a college education. Love is more valuable than anything else in the world. And if you want it, you must work for it. You must put out some effort, some determination, some work. It's going to cost you. It's not going to be easy to do. But love pays the price. The fourth principle of love, that love does, is love serves other people. You know, there is no love without service. I like what Mary shared this morning in her scripture reading. Love is not words. Love serves other people. Jesus put it this way. Let us not love with words only, but let us love with deeds and actions. Let's put action to our love. Your love for other people is measured by your service to them. But again, when we think about that, that just goes contrary to our nature. I mean, I'm the boss. I want to be in control. I'm the manager. I don't do those things. I'll tell you, you put these things into practice and I promise you, Your business will increase. Your money will increase. Your life will increase. I guarantee that. I dare you to try this for the next year in your life and see what happens in your life. You serve the people who work for for you. You get under them. You treat them with kindness. You treat them with a servant's attitude. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, Whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. Here's Jesus. He's God. He's the King of Kings. He made us. And here's this God coming down to this planet in the form of a man. In fact, the Bible tells us in the form of a servant. And He served us. And He's still been serving us today. That's what Jesus has been spending the last 10,000 years doing. Is serving mankind. But you see, it's easy to serve those who are kind to you. It's easy to serve those who are complimentary. It's easy to serve those who are lovely. It's easy to serve those who pay you. Servanthood is an attitude of life. It's an attitude that says, others' needs are more important than my needs, and I'm going to meet those needs. I'll never forget when God kind of beat me over the head with this little truth. It was about eight years ago, and I had just finished a week of 70 hours at work. I hadn't hardly seen my family. I was shot. I was tired. And I'd been working at these two jobs for the past year and a half. I came home. I laid down on the couch. Plopped down. The kids wanted to play. I didn't want to play. My wife wanted to talk. I didn't want to talk. I was tired. I laid down on the couch. I started to close my eyes. This little voice said to me, Mark, do you love me? Oh, Lord, I love you, Lord. Mark, tell me, do you, want to, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, don't you? Lord, you know I want to be great. Well, Mark, you need to be a servant. Yeah, that's right, Lord. And Boy, I sure have been, Lord, 70 hours this week. <clears throat> I, I worked really hard this week, Lord. And then the little voice said to me, And what about now? Well, come on, get off, get off it, Lord. I'm tired. I was tired too, Mark. In fact, I usually rose before the sun came up and went down way into the night. I spent my life ministering to thousands and millions of people, Mark. Now, oh, Lord, come on. I'm human. Mark, do you want to be great? Then get off your rear end and start serving the people you live with. I'll tell you a little secret about kids. They're wonderful, but they're never convenient. (laughs) You see, we like children because, you know, okay, now I'm done with you, you go. But you see, children are never convenient. Serving your family is never convenient. It takes an attitude of serving. And I realized, you know, here I am. I'm hoping to get in the ministry someday and I I don't even have a servant's attitude to my family. To my wife. To my children. And I and I realized. Unless I serve now when it costs. This is God speaking to me. Mark, unless you serve now when it costs you something. You just forget ministry. You just forget it. Because I can't trust you. If you don't have a heart. To do it to the least of these. The children. And to do it to your wife. Then you'll never do it to others. And if you do, Mark. You're just a fake. If you do it's only because you're doing it for the praise and accolades of man, not because it's really a genuine part of your life. Well, that got my attention. I pulled myself off the couch. I grabbed the little book. I started reading my children, you see. Because love does what others want it to do. That's the point. See, servants don't give themselves orders. They take orders. They take orders. I like what one man said. If you want to be the, the greatest then that means you're going to have the whole world breathing down your neck. That's what it means. And you do it with a smile. Not with a grunt and a groan. And I realized there's so many opportunities, and so I got up, I, I looked, at, I thought, well, I can clip their fingernails. That's usually mother's job, see? I usually didn't do that. And I started to think of all the things I usually didn't do. <laughs> like, well, you know what? I guess it could be vacuumed in here. Kathy, why don't you... I'm va- oh, like, geez, I guess I could vacuum. As like you know all the dishes that well I guess I could do the dishes. The garbage need well I guess I could take the garbage out. this needs to be dusted. Well I guess I could dust. The toilet needs clean oh the toilet oh I hate to <clears throat> Just dump a bunch of Santa flush in, leave for a while then brush it real quick and flush it <clears throat> You see when I began to discover, I thought I deserved better treatment than God. I mean, here's Jesus, he comes down and he serves everybody, and I'm laying there like King Tut, waiting for everybody to wait on me. And I realize love isn't a part of my life. I gotta start taking some action if I'm serious about putting love in my life. It's been interesting as I look at my life, the job situations God put me in, every one of them were pathetic. They were they were awful. It's been the best I feel like I'm in heaven. You know, being a pastor. I mean, this has just been the greatest experience of my life. But up until this point, there was like a ton of things God had to put in my life. And he knew that it was going to take a lot of pressure to do it. And I had this one job where I was a parts person. And I waited on the mechanics in the shop. They weren't kind and gracious and all that. They would regularly come up to the counter and I won't uh, imitate their words. Because someone might be offended. And pastors don't say those kinds of things. And they would just lay into me, cuss and swear, you blankety-blank moron, get my part. There was this one guy in particular, and more than once I wanted to kick his face in. I wanted to kill him. That's how I felt. I went home so many times, just with knots in my stomach, I wanted to kill this guy. I could not believe the disdain with which he treated all the other employees, and myself included. And I remember thinking to myself, Man, Lord, I, geez, I do not want to turn the other cheek. I do not want to love this guy. In fact, I'd like to just leave him up there screaming like a little brat and walk off and let him wait for the next two hours for his part. That's what I was thinking inside. I didn't respond that way. That's how I was thinking, and I was fighting. There was this huge struggle going on inside of me to react one way, but I knew what the right thing to do was. And I began to realize that God was trying to really make me what I really wanted to be, but I didn't realize it was going to be so painful. I didn't realize it was going to cost me so much. I didn't realize I was going to have to endure that for two and one half years straight every single day I went to work. never fired him because he was the best mechanic in the place. He just was a moron to work with. So every day, I would go in and I'd pray, Lord, help me today. How me today to love this guy. Lord, if I can love this guy, I can love anybody. If you can change my life with this guy, I can, you can, I can do anything. So I'd go in and I'd smile at him and I'd call him by his name and he'd belittle me, and I'd be waiting on the customers over at this counter, and he'd be screaming and hollering back there. And I'd just try to graciously go back and get his part. And I remember after two and a half years, I left, and when I left that job, it was to go in the ministry. And they always used to poke fun at me all the time about... I never even hardly talked to him about being a Christian. They just poked fun at me all the time. Thought that was fun. And I remember he came up to me with one of his buddies and about a week before I was going to leave and he said, Mark, he said, um, I, I want to say something to you. He said, I, I want to apologize to you for the way I've treated you. He said, I, I actually really respect you. He said, I'd like to do something for you before you go. I, he said, I know your car needs some work and and I know you're going to be up there a lot on the, on the freeways. And he said, I'd like to, you know, overhaul it. I'd like to bring it in here. I'll do it all for free. I'll overhaul your carburetor, overhaul your brakes. Um, Tony and I would like to do it for you. So I went with him. We went together and we went out to eat. And it was amazing how powerful love can be. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to promise you this. It will cost you. It will cost you. Love hurts. Love costs. But love always goes out of its way for other people. I always try to think of these words of Paul when he said, If I love you the more and you love me the less, what is that to me? For I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. And I have realized now that God had to develop that attitude in me and develop that spirit in me in order to get into ministry. Had that not happened in my life, I'd never be in ministry today. Because you know what? All I am is is a servant. That's all I am. I didn't get into this business for power, for prestige, and certainly not for money. Or for anything else. For glory or anything. I got into it because I love people. Because I want to serve. Because Christ has changed my life. And I care. And Brent cares. That's why we both got into ministry. We're servants. We're your servants. We're we're on call all the time. Quite honestly, our job does never end. I have no defined hours. It could be at 2 in the morning and it could be at 10 in the morning it could be 8 in the morning. It could be this. It could be that. It's it's, it's not one thing. It's another. But I love every minute of it. I always try to remember Jesus' life. That it was Jesus' care and concern for others that made Him great. The fifth thing that I want to communicate with you is this. You're going to have some hard choices to make. And you're going to have to determine right now that the next time my mate lashes out at me, I'm going to respond with kindness. The next time you go to a restaurant, and this happens all the time, you don't get good service. You don't get waited on right away. Are you going to get mad? Are you going to sit there and stew? Or are you going to begin making positive excuses why they haven't been able to help you yet? Love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. That means the waiter or the waitress who's serving you. Well, you know, it does look kind of busy in here. I'll just I'll bet they just didn't notice me. Oh, it's no problem. I'll just get up and go tap them on the shoulder and say, say, I don't you know, I realize you're pretty busy, but I just sat down over here and when you get a moment, you know, I just wanted you to know we're there. When you go to the grocery store and you don't get the best service, you see what I'm saying, people, is this is not easy to do. But unless you practice this, you'll never be a dynamic person. If you practice this, you'll be an extraordinary person. You will influence people wherever you go. I guess to put it bluntly, you'll have people eating out of the palm of your hand. I was in a restaurant the other day and this is the last thing I want to share with you. Love changes the way it talks. One of the greatest instruments you have for serving other people is your mouth. But we very seldom use it to serve people, and usually we use it to tear them down. Sarcasm has become a pastime in America. Making fun of people, poking fun, belittling people, that's just everyday living in this country. But your words are powerful, and your words can communicate love. And it's so important that you learn to become expressive. The only way you'll learn to become expressive is if, if expressive is if, first of all, you've changed your attitudes. Do you understand the connection? If you don't change your attitudes, if you don't begin to value people more than anything else in the world, then you'll never have anything good to say to other people. And you know what else? When you do say it, it will never be sincere. It will come across very insincere. I was in a restaurant the other day. <clears throat> it's a restaurant I usually go to to meet people for lunch. I try to go to the same places so I can get to know the people who work there. And this young lady who waits on me, usually I sit in her section. Her name is Pam. And I hadn't seen her for a couple of months. I'd been in there a couple of times and I'd heard she was in an accident. So she was in there the other day when I went in and she came up to the table and I said, Pam, how are you doing? She goes, Oh, I'm not very good today. I said, what's the matter? He says, i got to wear this stupid uniform. And uh, it was these bright fluorescent shorts and these fluorescent little tops that they had and these t-shirts that matched the shorts. And, and uh, I kind of thought it was strange because it re- really looked nice. And uh, I didn't say that. You know, I, I think it's strange. What's the matter with you? <laughs> and... Um, <clears throat> She said, yeah, I put on my other uniform and they made me take it off. Put this one on. I said, well, you know, it sure looks nice on you. I said, well, how, how are you feeling from the accident? And she said, well, I don't know how you'd feel if you had this on your leg. And she pointed this big scar on her, underneath her knee. And then I realized why she didn't like the uniform. And she's been wanting to get on with Northwest as a flight attendant and... Um, it's not very easy, especially for women, to have a scar on their leg. And I realized that. I said, you know, Pam, I said, I want to tell you something. I said, in all the places I go and all the restaurants I've been, I've never had anybody who's as kind and courteous and happy and cheerful who's ever waited on me as you. And I'll tell you something. I would have never noticed that if you hadn't told me about it. You know why? Because you're so bright and effervescent and cheery." And by far, you're the best person they have working here. And she just sort of relaxed. And I said, and you look great in those fluorescent pink shorts. I, I, I got to get a pair of those myself. She walked away and and I could tell, literally, that there was an extra lift in her step. There was a Her day had just brightened. And I thought, you know, I'm going to leave an extra tip. I used to always try to tip good. But I thought, I'm going to leave even more today. People need watered. I went home last Sunday. I thought this was so ironic that the Lord had do this to me on a Sunday that I talked about love. I have these flowers hanging from our porch and I really like flowers. And they're these gorgeous red velvety flowers and I water them every day. Try to take real good care of them. But we've been having all this rain and so I had missed a couple days and they were looking great. I left for church last Sunday, and they were beautiful and they were lush. That's, that's really how the only word to describe it. Very lush. I came home, and the first thing I see is they're totally just. It was like somebody killed my plants. And like they, I'd never seen anything like it. They were just totally wilted, drooped all the way over, shriveled up. And I thought, like well, you know, my plants are dead. And I was sort of beside myself for a moment. I didn't know what to do, so I ran back and I got the water and I filled up my little you know, sprinkler thing and I ran up put them down and I just doused them with water. You know, just let it sprinkle on one whole bucket on each one. And I sort of touched them. And... <clears throat> oh Lord, heal these flowers! I think I started healing ministry after this. <laughs> And all of a sudden, about 30 minutes later, I looked outside and I couldn't believe what I saw. They were were standing straight up. The flowers were all back. And you couldn't have even told anything had ever happened to them. And I thought, you know, this is an object lesson for life, Mark. People are like flowers. They wilt under the pressure of life. There's a lot of heat going on in people's lives. And a cheerful word and a kind word can transform a wilting person into a bright, strong, stable individual. Learn to express praise with your mouth, not criticism. All you're going to do is cause people to wilt more. If you learn to use your mouth like Christ used his, again, I promise you, people are going to love you People are going to admire you. People are going to want to be in your presence. You can go into a room. I've seen this happen. You walk into a room and people just sort of gravitate to you. Why? Because the more you practice love, the more love just will emanate from your life. And people will know what you represent. I want to encourage you to take these things, these six things, practice them. Do them. Think about them. If you want to become a person, That people like and admire. You do these things. And your life will change. But it's important. That you put love into action. Next week will be the conclusion of this series. And I want to share this with you in conclusion. What I share next week with you. Believe it or not. Is the most important and essential ingredient. For love in your life. It's more important than what I've talked about. In the last three weeks. You don't know what it is. You come back next week and you'll find out what it is. But it's essential that you do and have what I talk about next week. Or you'll be a frustrated person the rest of your life. Let's pray.